Hello, and welcome to the My Friends Love Music podcast. I'm Leela, also one of the hosts of the Lock, Shock, and Barrel Movies podcast, and I love all kinds of music, all genres. Something that brings me joy is when friends, family, and acquaintances get overly excited about their favorite music, be it a band, singer, style, and are eager to share their love. It's like the opposite of gatekeeping, because where gatekeeping keeps you out because you don't know enough, this kind of enthusiasm draws you in and gets you a beer, some tea, and makes you listen to albums for 16 hours until you understand and are in the club. Since I currently have some time to deep dive, I've decided to take music I already like, say at a level 5, and interview people who are level 10 fans about why this music ticks all the boxes for them. Welcome to the show. Today's exploration is Sufi and Stevens, a singer, songwriter, multi-instrumentalist whose albums span from 1999's A Sun Came to the recently released Aporia. Today's guest I would like to introduce as my friend Jess. Jess. Hi. Jess is waving, but you can't see that, but she's waving a lot. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh okay. So I can like, I can see you while we're doing this, but it's just going to be my voice. Okay. That's terrifying. I'm kidding. <laughs> right. No podcast. There you go. So I've brought Jess in today as the inaugural guest to this, to this podcast series. Woohoo! Uh, yay. I'm very uh, honored. She's honored. Uh, yep. She gets, she uh, was the first person to not say no. No, just kidding. She was there from the inception of, of this whole idea of here's a band or a song that I like, but you like it even more. And how much I love people's enthusiasm and exuberance. And this is one of the things, one of the artists that Jess really likes. And so this episode I'm calling Blackbirds, Wasps, and Swans. Ooh. We're talking about Sufi and Stevens. That's excellent. I like the conglomeration of of different aspects of things. I like it. I know. Um, so Nouns about things that fly. <laughs> there are like a lot of things that fly in his music. Like I hadn't even thought about that. This is very true. That, that's, that is true. So I will just say, because the, the concept here is that it's something I really like and then something that, that you know more about than I do, that I, I, I would say I'm a really casual fan of Steven's work but that it forms the basis of a lot of things that I listen to. Oh, yeah, I could see that because, um, and I guess I had almost the opposite experience of finding out about him a little bit later from other bands that I did like, which I think is kind of an interesting um, way to come about finding out about an artist. I was actually in, I think I was in Nicaragua when I got introduced to him. I think it was because of Pace Magazine and maybe it was like a release of something that they had. Did you ever get Pace Magazine? And mm -hmm. they would like send you a CD of sample yes. musics and songs songs and things like that. And I think there was one of his songs on one of those, those uh, CDs. And I, to this day, I am so filled with regret about this because when um, I was in Nicaragua, the accessibility to be able to listen to new music wasn't great because the internet was horrible, so you couldn't like stream things, et cetera, et cetera. And this was also like 13 years ago, 14 years ago. And so you're trying to like measure your best sense of I'm gonna like this and I'm not, so I'm gonna ask for this for Christmas, I'm gonna ask for this album. And I ended up not asking for um, Sufjan Stevens and Death Cab for Cutie. I did not ask for those two albums. And I asked for albums of bands that like, I don't even listen to. I never even listened to them when I got the albums. So it like, 
put a damper and space between my introduction to them and then my actual listening to them. Um, and yes, I love Death Cab for Cutie too, and I could talk about them. But uh, Sufjan Stevens, I think the thing that drew me to him initially was his immense creativity. Like no one, no one, no artist does what he does. And I will be very honest and say sometimes I absolutely love it. And sometimes I am not into it at all. Like I'm not really an enjoy your rabbit person. I don't get into as much of the electronic stuff that he does. Like um, Age of Ads? Not well, I, I love the Age of Ads. I think it's odds, but it's weird. Ads, um, ads, it, ads. Which is strange, but like the one that he just did and, and some of like the more instrumental stuff, I don't get into. The um, Aporia, the brand new one? Yeah, I haven't even listened to that. I didn't even know that existed until like, you know, 20 minutes ago or two hours ago or something like I, that. I personally don't find it super accessible, mm -hmm. but I may just not have listened to it as, as much as I should have to interface with it right yet. I don't know. Well, and I think that's what's really interesting. You bring up the word accessible, um, and I don't think that all of his music is accessible. And I think that's one of the things that's really contemplative about it and captivating about it, if that makes any sense, because there are just so many different degrees to what he does. So some of it, like you have a song like Chicago, and this is the song that kind of, if you have ever heard of him, this is the song that people know. I think that was the one that was in like Little Miss Sunshine and was on all sorts of different things. Um, so people definitely know Chicago and it's kind of upbeat, poppy indie music, I guess and is great and is is really like radio friendly and things like that but a lot of his stuff is not at all um which is why i think you almost have to sit down and and like i did when i was in high school you get an album and you like look and read all of the liner notes and you read through all of the lyrics and it becomes this way of engaging in music and i think his music does that in a way that we don't do anymore because we don't have physical copies of CDs. We don't pull out the liner notes. I don't spend an afternoon in my bean bag in my room being 17 um, or in college and reading through all of this while I'm, I'm listening to it. I just don't do that anymore. Uh, but with him I did, which was really cool because I wanted to engage in that. And he kind of pulled that um, out of me a lot. And Illinois is just, an insanely diverse album in so many different ways. So I, the whole 50 States project, hmm. I thought, I, I thought that was another really great reason <laughs> to start this podcast series with him because just like with that BS project, this may be a BS podcast. There's no <laughs> way I'm going to continue and make 50 of these. Who knows? Yeah, he totally failed. It yeah. was, and I think that's one of the things, he's, he's really high concept. But he has no qualms about being like, oh, no, I'm totally not going to do that anymore. I'm moving yeah, on to else. I'm done here. Yeah, like, so, two of them was good. <laughs> I think that, that that's the thing about him, for me anyway, is if I'm in that mood and I'm going to sit there and, and you know, watch one of his songs on YouTube with the lyrics right there mm -hmm. and really absorb where he was when he wrote some of that stuff, especially Carrie and Lowell, the really painful stuff that he's written. Yeah. I don't usually do it like that when I listen to him. It's usually like a middle of the night, late night kind of thing where I'm painting or I'm creating something and I need a soundtrack with a certain mood. Yes. Um, and I may not be hearing the lyrics, but I'm sort of absorbing 
the feel of it. If well, that makes sense. It's no, like it permeates whatever else I'm doing. You might not remember, it, it's kind of like certain books. You might not remember exactly what the song is about, but there is definitely a certain way that songs make you feel. Um, and it's very emotive. Um, and an album like Carrie and Lowell is, is actually one of the most unified albums, I feel like, because um, I guess stylistically, it's very similar. Um, whereas some other ones like, I mean, I, I think Illinois is probably the perfect example where you just have such a huge disparity between styles and, and what he's doing. Um, but I, I guess he's a great example of like some system songs to me, which for me is like this concept of songs that just get into my system. Mm -hmm. And especially if you have this kind of slow building growth to a zenith and conclusion. Um, and there's this one song of his on off of Age of Odds called I Want to Be Well. Do you know the song at all? Um, I do. Usually with him, I have to actually go look up the song uh, yeah. to get the name. Well, because sometimes they have like 17 words. Oh, in the right. Title, right? <laughs> like I'm always like, I like that song about the wasp. You know, that yeah, one. I don't remember which one that is. Exactly. Yeah. No, um, I totally get that. Um, so I got to see him in concert only once and it was really cool. I've been living in Northern Virginia. It was outside of DC. And I think at this point I had two kids. I, yeah, two, so two very, very young kids, um, uh, or if not one really, really young kid. And uh, I was in Northern Virginia, and I'm from Richmond, so um, I drove down to uh, Richmond to go to a venue called The National, where my brother was actually working in the restaurant next door. And he was going to, I had a ticket, but he was going to like let me get in to be able to like have priority like standing and I was like oh I'm so excited so I ended up at this concert for him and I was right in the front just a little bit to the right and I would just stood there waiting and reading a book for like an hour and a half before of course he, you did okay, sorry. <laughs> and Stevens fans read novels while waiting in the line are they doing drugs no they're reading no. <laughs> That's really why well, I did. I don't even remember what I was reading, but I ended up having a conversation with somebody about the book I was reading. Sorry, so, yeah. continue. Just an observation. <laughs> um, but it was for, I, I had always wished I could go to the Illinois um, tour, and that didn't end up happening. But I drove down, um, and I'm listening to Age of Odds as I'm driving down. And for probably about half the trip, which um, ended up being about an hour, I ended up playing I Want to Be Well over and over again. And it's a little bit of a longer song. And I believe if I remember correctly, he very specifically had some really significant health issues. And um, they were like affecting his everyday life type of, of health issues. So it was this examination of that, of this very concrete problem going on in his life, a very physical problem, and how he was confronting that. And it kind of starts slow, and then it builds, and then it just has this massive intensity where basically you have like the choir in the background, which is this, people don't do that in indie music or pop music or anything like that, except maybe occasionally. Um, and and he sings, I want to be well. And he sings it over and over 
and over again. And um, oh, you have to put an explicit warning on this. So anyway, um, but he keeps saying also, I'm not fucking around. And it has him saying, I want to be well, I want to be well. And it's like this melodic thing and it builds. And he does this kind of wrap around with the lyrics. So that he's saying, I want to be well, I want to be well, I want to be. And it's the, the song is, I want to be well, he wants to be healthy, but it's almost like him saying, well, I want to be, and what does it mean? What does it mean to want to be? He just wants to be in like this type of existence. I want to be what? And to me, every time he makes decisions like this, they are always very intentional because it does wrap around with that, that um, lyric, but it creates a double meaning for that. And I remember just driving down uh, 64, I think it's 64. I don't remember my interstates in Virginia anymore. It's been so long. And listening to this song over and over again, and just like having my own outrage, anger, rage moments, not because of anything physical that was going on, but because of uh, the emotional questioning content of it, of, what does it mean to be well? I want to be something that I am not. I am having all of these questions um, about lots of things. And what does that mean for my life, for my existence? Um, how do I get to a place where I can be healthy? Um, and for me, that wasn't even necessarily physical. But it's like, I mean, I have a bunch of songs that I play when I'm really angry. Paranoid Android's a big one. Um, from Radiohead, uh, but this is definitely one that I put on repeat and get into my car and scream sometimes about. And that's the kind of emotional processing that I feel like he gives space for, if any of that makes any sense. It, it does. And I think that one of the things that's interesting about him is that he does all of this really deep digging in public yes, i've had these moments private yeah right like i've done these things mm -hmm. i've had these moments and these thoughts and these fears and all these things but i keep them to myself like i i have a creative need but it's not to just sort of like vomit all that stuff out into something beautiful which he does with with no shame there's no inhibition with him which right. i think is is one of the things that's almost alarming and disarming at the same time. Um, and you're so taken aback. And, and it's interesting, I've watched him perform on like late night television shows sometimes, and you can see his kind of his awkwardness and discomfort with it, but almost, and it's not a level of disdain. It's just a, well, this is what I do and not everybody's gonna get it and that's okay. And I'm like, that takes so much courage and takes right. so much bravery. Um, I mean, he's known for having those wings on stage all the time and, and all of these different kind of manifestations of creativity that are really representative of different things. I mean, when I went to the show, it was the most incredible show I've ever been to. I mean, and he is one of my favorite artists, even if I don't listen to him on a even monthly basis or anything like that. And he started out with a song called Seven Swans, um, which pulls in so much religious imagery and allusions, which is something he's huge on. I mean, he does it in almost all of his songs. 
And there's such layered complexity to all of the different things that he's alluding to that I have to go up and be like, oh, I don't know what that reference is. I need to go look that up. And, and I like that, that engagement part of it. But he also leaves space for just having that emotional aspect. Like, I think it's what the best poets do. Um, he has this intensity of lyricism that sometimes is very specific and very concrete, but sometimes just leaves you with the feeling, with the way that he he uses his language and he juxtaposes that with the the of the music as well is so powerful. So that sometimes you have, um, like in Casimir Pulaski Day, you have this very fair music um, that that's beautiful and kind of folksy and different things. And it's talking about this incredibly tragic song. Um, and, and he's a master at that. Like the Decemberists, the Decemberists are masters at telling stories and, um, and having language that almost contradicts the type of music that they're, they're doing. And he does that a lot, but he also marries those two things really well. Um, but anyway, so I went to the concert and he opened with Seven Swans, um, which was just beautiful and, and majestic and huge. And he did not do I Want to Be Well. And I was so disappointed because I had had that in my brain and my mindset driving down. But the one thing that I had always wanted him to end a, a show with was John Wayne Gacy Jr., which ah, yes. really morbid and all sorts of things and whatever. Um, but I was like, I never had any expectation of that actually happening. So when the show was over and you know, everyone's like, applause, 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 applause more, because you know, you have to come back. You have to come back. And he did come back and he did four songs from Illinois, which was amazing. And he ended with John Wayne Gacy Jr. And well, I mean, from a, you know, a egotistical point of view, I was like, I have the same aesthetic sensibilities as Sufjan Stevens. He did what I wanted him to do. I'm so happy. Um, P.S. to the listeners, this is the fan exuberance moment I was telling you about. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, no, I was very somber during the whole thing. No, um, but I, it, was, it was amazing because that's what I had wanted. I had told people that I wanted that. Um, never in a million years expecting that he would actually did, do that. And he did and I was astounded. But I swear, you could not hear a sound in the audience um, while he was doing that. Because John Wayne Gacy Jr., that song, I mean, if there is if there's one song um, and it is upsetting and it is powerful and it is disturbing. And it is probably the most haunting song I have ever heard in my life. Um, to end a show like that is such a creative choice because it doesn't leave the audience feeling good. Right. It leaves them haunted. It feels them, it, it leaves us wondering about the state of our own souls and what we've done because um for those listening who have never um heard the song if you know about john wayne gacy he uh, was a serial killer and he um god he molested and killed a number of young boys um and they were found in uh his his home and it is this incredibly tragic incredibly horrific story and Sufjan tells this story in 
the most haunting way, I keep using that word, um, but, but it's just so tragic and it's so, it gets into your system and you're thinking about this and you're thinking this is possibly the worst thing anybody could be singing about. Why are we listening to this? Because you question it. And in the, at the very end of the song, and he's ending a show like this, he says, and in my best behavior, I am really just like him. Look beneath my floorboards to see what I have hid. And you want to talk about a punch to the gut and this intense ability to take something that is inaccessible to anyone, um, hopefully, and and to make it something that makes you not just kind of pause, but makes you stop dead in your tracks, regardless of what you're doing and saying, oh, wow, he is looking at his own life and comparing himself to this horrific man and saying, what are the things in my life that I have done that are horrific, that I'm hiding from, from the world? And as someone who very much values the introspective parts of music and lyrics, um, I don't think there's anything that could be more disturbing than that, than someone asking you to consider the, the depths of, of your um, mistakes and the things that you've done. And it is incredibly powerful and um, is the kind of thing that doesn't leave you readily or easily. Like you have to actively, I think, get yourself out of that mindset after listening to that song. Um, but yeah, it was certainly a very brave choice and a very unusual choice because don't you want your audience, your listeners to like leave your show being like, that was amazing and I'm so hyped up. And it's like, we're all walking out of there and we're like, oh my God, oh my God. Like, right, I, right. you can't breathe. You can't think about anything except what he, he said. I want this to be what you leave with. Um, and it was amazing. Yeah. Wow. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so in all of that, they were to say, I think you, you blew through like six questions I was going to ask you <laughs> for your perspective on. You would touch on them and then like flit off to something else. Oh, I know. I ramble a lot. <laughs> no, no. It was great. Uh, Rambling probably, podcast by Jess and Lila. Okay. Yeah. Hey. But that, yeah, it, really, I'm just only at one works. Um, <laughs> So one of the things I was going to ask you about specifically was all of his religious imagery that he builds in and how he goes about it in a way that doesn't pigeonhole him as a religious artist because it comes from such a place of the human experience and emotion almost the way bob dylan does it Ooh, that's really nice yeah. um right because it's it's like the whole human experience but he really examines questions of religion and belief and thought and how everything works and uh for the listener jess it knows an amazing amount about theology uh, she, <laughs> she, she really does i i try not to drink too much and get into theological discussion with jess because i'm outmoded <laughs> immediately but i love it when we do that it's fantastic <laughs> so anyway i was i was wondering when you picked when i asked you you know who you would do i really thought you would pick the decemberists and, uh, him, and I was like, Ooh, I can ask her about the religion thing, just how it all works in. 
I thought about them. I almost really talked about the national because I love the uh, national. Like that's well, these are all. If you look at like Sufian Stevens as your son and orbiting <laughs> things, you know, satellites in his orbit, those are both in there. Well, like of monsters and men and all of their kind of like abstract fairy tale imagery and everything like that. But okay. Well, I mean, um, if yeah, we can get back to that because I have like a whole <laughs> list of other artists who I feel like. Like when I say I build from Sufian, mm -hmm. like who is built into that? Um, oh, because if you go to a bunch of, if you ever explore a lot of independent artists or modern rock people and things like that, like they'll talk about their influence being Sufjan Stevens and a lot of people are like, what? Um, so that's always a neat thing to be able to find out there's this unifying factor there. Um, okay, the religious imagery aspect of it. Ooh. This has been um, one of the things that was so powerful to me because I, I mean, I've always loved music and you know that I love music. I'm looking at Leela right now. You, the audience can't see that. So hi audience. I'm saying I really love music as in like, I really get into music. Love it a lot. Another and, reason I picked Jess as my first one because <laughs> I too love music and we talk about music a lot. Yeah, it's fantastic. Yeah. And we have such different tastes in music too, which is really neat. I've learned so much about Rush, um, different things <laughs> like this. Well, you know, Sufjan did cite Rush as one of his inspirations for um, Planetarium. <gasps> that does not surprise me. And I've only listened to that a few times. It wow. Was this big concept thing. And it's actually one of my very favorite High concept. High con well, high that concept. doesn't surprise me because you love the high concept Rush stuff, so. I do, I, yep. Um, Don't no. get me distracted. <laughs> I'm going to do a rush. I'm, I'm setting it up. Next week yeah. on Rush with Leela. Okay. Um, but now I have the Paula Abdul song sick in my head. Rush, rush. Oh my God. <laughs> you were doing so well. Doing so. Okay. So you know what was in my head earlier today was Richard Marks should have known better. So I just wanted you to know that. I have no clue why that was in my head. So, all right. I mean, in these times of trouble, we have no idea. In these isolated quarantines of despair, right. you never know what really bad 80s and 90s music is going to come up. Um, so the religious imagery, um, I think that I certainly that was one of the things that was so powerful to me about his music, because when I first started listening to him, I was still a Christian. And, and I have always engaged in music. Um, I mean, and I, I love fun music. I really do. I mean, you know, Groove is in the Heart. I, I don't know why that was just the first thing <laughs> to come up as far as like... Because I told you yesterday that that was one of the first three CDs I ever bought. Oh, that <laughs> must be why it's there. Okay, that would make sense. That, Rush that Counterparts, and Pearl Jam 10. <laughs> and then we have a whole... That's how this started, about our dis, our, our disparity of interest regarding Pearl Jam. Yeah. It's true. Okay. Okay, um, continue. We're going to have a sidebar, like it'll be a bloopers reel where we talk about, about Pearl Jam. Um, so, I, and I grew up, I mean, and I, I listened to things like, you know, Carmen and Amy Grant, um, which, you know, when you're in the 80s, that's kind of what you listen to. And I also listened to this guy named Steve Taylor. And musically, he was never um, like the best, I guess, but lyrically, he was very much on the outskirts of the Christian music scene because a lot of times people did not want to pull him in fully um, because he would talk about things I think that were really challenging to people and he would be very satirical, he would be very biting. Um, he had this one song <clears throat> uh, 
on I Predict 1990, which had this whole song called Jim Morrison's Grave on it. Not exactly what you expect from a late 80s Christian album um, where he's talking about Jim Morrison. I've been and, to it. It's in Père Lachaise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The whole yeah. video is like the whole, yeah. Oh, cool. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's really cool. Uh, but he had this, la the last song on there was kind of a musical departure of his, but it was called Harder to Believe Than Not To. And I grew up with that kind of mentality of, of being able to use music to explore theology or to explore um, abstract concepts and ideas. And again, while I love the grooves in your heart, and I mean, you put some Justin Timberlake on, I'm very happy typically. Love me some JT. But um, I really do find that music that engages you on an intellectual and emotional level changes you and becomes something important in your life. Um, so that when I was growing up, I didn't have to be afraid of confronting things that I believed through music. And that was a really neat representation to me because you didn't necessarily see that a lot, I think in the 80s and the 90s. And I think you see more of that now but not nearly as much when I was growing up. And I think those are the kind of things that really drew me to someone like Sufjan Stevens, someone who is not at all afraid to question all of these things. And I think there, I mean, I've done lots of like looking and reading and everything, and he's very, not in any way standoffish, but he is very private about his private life. So everybody's like, okay, so what's his relationship status? Or is he really a Christian anymore? Or what does he do? What does he believe? And everyone has all of these questions that, and I mean, I could be mistaken, that I don't think he really typically answers. But his music informs so much of what he's struggling with on a personal level, um, that whether it is something really concrete or something really abstract, I think that most people can find something in there to relate to because it's gonna make you question something. So if you are afraid of looking at your life and examining things, you do not wanna to listen to Stefan Stevens, like at all, you just don't. Um, but if you are someone who, who finds music to be an avenue for that, um, his religious imagery and um, allusions to the Bible and church history and all those sorts of things are some of the most profound of any artist I think I've ever known. Um, and he, like with something like John Wayne Gacy Jr., I mean, think about the way that he is examining um, what he would reference as sin within himself to say, and in my best behavior, I am really just like him. Look beneath the floorboards to see what I have hid. Um, to take such an extreme example of someone who is so horrible and so evil, and to say within the context of Christianity, where are the places that I am deeply wrong? Um, and I don't know, maybe that's not what he was doing, but it certainly seems like a huge analysis about about who am I as a, a, a person, a person who doesn't make good decisions, who does wrong things, etc. But there are so many examples of it. And he uses a lot of, of um, like revelation imagery, which is just insane to try and figure out anyway. Nobody's figured out revelation. I think anybody who, who says that they have is kind of like deluding themselves, but that's a whole other topic. Um, but it, he, pulls out so much imagery from that, like with Seven Swans, I think. Um, I think Seven he, Swans is his most overtly 
religious album? There are a lot of different songs um, on that whole album that that do that. Uh, but Seven Swans, like I hear a voice in my mind, I will try, I will try, I will try. And it really is interesting. He brings back so many things um, to this concept of, of Lord. He, he uses that word a lot, I think, instead of God. I don't know how frequently he's actually ever said the word Jesus in the songs. He might, but like in Get Real, Get Right, um, uh, on Age of Odds, he talks about get real, get right with the Lord. Um, he has this one song called I Would Do Anything For You, which is this beautiful song. And um, uh, I think this is the, I could be getting it wrong, the one he's talking about going up on a tree, which is a, a fairly clear allusion to Christ, but there's so many things that he uses that could be looked at religiously, but also could be looked at relationally. And I think that's one of the things that makes it very appealing to a number of different people, is that even if you don't access it on a religious level, you can access it on a relational level. And he never makes anybody feel, it, it's never condescending, it's never, um, in any way something that is meant to be exclusionary by pulling these things in. He's just using it as his experience. And I, for one, would be fascinated to just sit down to dinner with him and be like, okay, so so tell me about like your progression of what you think and believe um, and all of those things, because I have no idea. I don't think anybody actually does. But to use it so consistently throughout his music, and he does it in all of his Christmas albums. Have you ever listened to his Christmas albums? Uh, yeah, they're they're my favorite ones. Uh, they're, they're oh my gosh. Okay, so um, I'm getting really excited, audience. I know you can't see that. Yay! Can probably hear them look at her go. <laughs> <laughs> there, there's this. Um, I gave this uh, one song to my mom on a or dedicated it to her because it was called "That Was the Worst Christmas Ever" because she was having a really <laughs> bad Christmas, um, and. Uh, there's this, he has this stop clay animation video about one of them, about Frosty or about the snowman. That's, yes, yes. Oh, I love it. It's so gruesome and morbid. It's fantastic. But I mean, but just on as Christmas music, his version of Come Thou Found of Every Blessing is my favorite version of that song I've ever heard. It is, no, no, no. I put his Christmas albums on all yeah. the time and it is beautiful and it is. I, my I think grandmother loves them. Yeah. I just take out the more like quirky ones that she would confuse her and yeah. Well, and there's not much that I guess creates a longing in me for things like that all the time anymore, but music like that when he does it does create that and it it, it brings me back to I guess just the, the beauty and the awe that can exist in in the unknown and I can relate it to other things which is, is nice, but it is, God, it's beautiful. I mean, and he does a version of O Come, O Come, Emmanuel as well, mm -hmm. that is just beautiful. Um, and he has this one song um, off of Silver and Gold, the last Christmas album he did, um, that it's called Justice Delivers Its Death. And that's just another one of those haunting songs about what am I doing? What are we doing with our lives? What is giving it meaning? Um, and I think we're really talking a lot about materialism and, and significance. Um, so yeah, the Christmas albums are fantastic. 
Um, and our favorite, I think, is Christmas Unicorn, which is yes, a ridiculous yes. song. I mean, I have lots of videos of the kids and I dancing around to I'm the Christmas Unicorn, um, which is so great. Well, and one of the things about him is he does write these incredibly introspective songs and then he'll go do a Christmas album and it comes across just as completely genuine. When a person who writes songs that look inwardly so much that could be so insufferable, right? Oh, like, it could be awful. There's no ego about it. Right, it, and, and that's always been interesting to me yeah. about him because he could have gone this whole, I don't want to say rock star, but like there are plenty of pop stars who write sort of songs that are similar, but then it's kind of about their persona. Mm-hmm. And with him, there's just not any of that. Like, I had probably yeah. listened to his music for a decade before I ever even looked at what he looked like. You know? Because it, it, he makes everything not about him, even though what he does is so unique and creative and individualistic. It's not about him. It's about us. Right. Um, it's, it's, a, it's very much about just the human experience. This, yeah. Yeah, he is... Um, I mean, introspective is a great word for it. He, he's very challenging. Um, he will make you think. He will just. I wonder if he's really hard to be friends with. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder what he's he like in person. With me. He would, we would be BFFs. Of course um, he would. Yes. Well, I mean, anybody I think who has that level of contemplative intensity, I think, probably has a lot that they are going through. Um, and I, I expect he has a number of challenges in, in his life in the same way that we all do. But his expression of those makes that accessible to us as well. So for us, it like helped, or for me, it helped me work through things. Um, and you wonder for an artist, it just kind of leaves him drained or if it helps with the processing part of things. Right. And I don't know, maybe it's a combination of both. Yeah, it comes and goes. So we we're talking about the orbiting around him as the core. What other artists, like if you were making a playlist that had, had him on there as kind of your seed of it, mm -hmm. if I'm making that, it's got Rufus Wainwright. It's oh, got okay. like Andrew Bird, Joanna Newsom. Andrew Bird, yeah. And I don't listen to Andrew Bird a lot, but definitely there's a similarity there i mean there's um, i like a lot of the pink moon era nick drake stuff mm -hmm. is is on there for me like what other artists if you're in a sufian mood what other artists are you going to listen to oh and it and that really depends i guess on what album you're talking about with different things i feel right. like i have a whole list of, of things that i really like um if i'm going more kind of in the electronic hard part of things that he does and like the intensity thing um there will be some radiohead on there there would probably be some nine inch nails on there there will be fantagram mm -hmm. um i don't know if you know them mm -hmm. um but more in the kind of examining of things and introspective of stuff um or or sometimes poppy i mean the decemberists we talked about um a little bit the national would definitely be on there he actually did um a, i think he does the backup vocals on i'm afraid of everyone by the national mm -hmm. um so there's some sort of connection there but yeah they i think the national is very similar in that um 
they do some really abstract lyricism that I'm still, I'll read it. I'm like, I have no idea what this means, but they seem to have a little bit more fun with, with it, even though their music's not always fun, but, um, but it is less about, less about having me as a listener um, have to be introspective about, or wanting me as a listener to be introspective about something that I'm presenting. Um, sometimes it's just about the intrigue of the, the language that they're using. Um, but I mean, they have moments where, I mean, I have uh, tattoos of their lyrics on my wrist. So um, I, I think that The National will definitely be on there. Um, Arn and Juan. Well, you know, what's interesting is that at the same time I was um, getting into uh, Sufjan and like Death Cab, uh, I was introduced to Iron and Wine because of the album The Shepherd's Dog mm -hmm. and heard Boy With a Coin and I was like, well, that's an amazing song and then started uh, getting into them and some of their, their older stuff. So Iron and Wine would be on there. There is a band um, called My Brightest Diamond that uh, he, his record label is called Asthmatic Kitty. Um, yes. My Brightest Diamond is on there and she does some uh, really cool stuff and she would probably be on there. I think she does backup vocals for some of this stuff as well. It's all connected. It's all oh, interconnected. Yeah. Um, man, I'm, I feel like I should just open up my Amazon list. Um, <laughs> the Fleet Foxes, for sure. Um, oh, yes. Um, <laughs> and I guess in some ways Bonavir. Well, and it's interesting because they have like very folksy albums and then they're like their last one was much more experimental, which I didn't get as into, but I love it when artists do that. Like oh, I have complete respect for um, uh, Sufjan Stevens doing more electronic stuff, even though that's not as what I'm into. Like people got really mad at Mumford and Sons for stopping, for not being all acoustic anymore. I'm like, you gotta let them do their thing. They gotta explore and... and some, sometimes you're just tired of the banjo, man. Yeah. You gotta... Um, you know, sometimes you're just, I, I think this is, this is a life mantra. Sometimes you're just tired of the banjo. And it's important knows, like, to note that we live in a very banjo-centric part of the country. Banjo, banjo-centric. <laughs> That's going to be our band name, banjo-centric. Yes, I can't play a banjo. <laughs> I can't play anything. Um, okay, I'm just going through some things. Uh, the Civil Wars at times, yeah. um, just because of that folk inspiration of things, um, Which I think is so interesting because he's from, isn't he from Detroit or close to Detroit? I don't know. Maybe Michigan because that's where he it's started Michigan. out. Yeah, or Chicago area, something like that. Um, yeah. So I don't know. I'm Again, I just have all this stuff and I don't buy as much music anymore. Um, I mentioned you get enough Napster, don't you? Cute. Talking about the <laughs> 90s. <laughs> oh my God. I remember that. I totally remember Napster. Okay. Um, so Jess. Yeah. Jess, yes. there's your chance. <laughs> oh no. For the new fan, the casual fan, the person who was bored enough to look up this podcast on SoundCloud or have it randomly suggested <laughs> to them, what are your top five songs that people should listen to? Okay. Well, I think I'm going to change this a little bit because I had a little bit of a list, but um, I don't know. I, okay. No, I'm just going to throw in a sixth. To, oh, okay. To, to usher people in, I'm going to say go listen to to um, uh, Chicago, right? Because that's, because that's the that's the entry point. That's the gateway that's, drug. That's the entry point. Yes. Um, and then I'm going to I want you to to have some some beauty in there. There's a song called uh, "For the Widows in Paradise" where the 
fatherless and something, father and the fatherless and Ypsilanti. Um, and it's just kind of a, a, a beautiful song. Um, and then you have Seven Swans that, that builds and seeing that live was just amazing. Um, but you've got to go with Casimir Pulaski Day. It is, um, it's just such a tragic song. And you talk so much about the introspection of things and the, the being willing to question things. Um, because the end of that song, I mean, it's talking about a girl that dies. Um, it sounds like they're teenagers and, um, and how this friend is, is dealing with that. And he's talking about all the glory that the Lord has made. Um, and the end of the song, that, that's like the line that repeats is the glory that the Lord has made. The end of the song is, and he takes, and he takes, and he takes. Yep. And that's where it ends. Um, and as someone, as someone who had one of my very best friends um, pass away when I was in high school um, from leukemia, I look back at that song uh, for a number of different reasons and think about it um, a lot in that context. I can't imagine what kind of wreck I would have been if that song had been out when I was in high school and that happened. But um, the Casimir Pulaski Day is, is a, a necessity. I would say I want to be well. And then if you need some um, uplifting after that, at the very end of the album, Impossible Soul is a 23 minute song that you can just go listen to the very end of it. Um, and that was when we played it, there was a beach ball all like being popped around in the concert, which was really fun. And uh, you have to listen to John Wayne Gacy Jr. Um, because it is probably the most difficult song that you can listen to. Um, and, and it is challenging and it is haunting um, and it stays with you. So yeah, that's kind of my list non-list list your non-list list my non-list list okay i i will add to the list the predatory wasp of the palisades yeah yeah I, okay so this is my problem there were a bunch of off the ones that i wanted to i was like I'm i like, know oh, i already did like three <laughs> yeah i know i, I like the metropolis a lot and i liked the dress looks nice on you oh yeah that's a beautiful one and visions of gideon I don't know that one as much. I know it, but that's because that's one of the more recent ones. And... But yeah, but you hit the you hit the high points of the definitely um, with your list. It's a good list. So. Yeah, thanks. Well, cool. Well, Jess, um, yes. music and poetry and linguist extraordinaire. Thank you so much for for joining me for this exploration of one who explores. So. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I love being a part of your exploration of one who explores. As yes. much as so yes uh so thank you so much for joining me and for giving all of your thoughts on this and i've learned a lot i'm actually going to go look up uh i want to be well and, and really give it a good good hard listen yeah yeah good luck with that all right well thank okay. you very much thank you for having me goodbye bye